and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Yes, we are still in the book of Deuteronomy and are going to be in the book of Deuteronomy for quite some time. So make yourselves comfortable. Uh, actually, uh, I had lunch with a, a friend of mine, an actually, actually a professor of mine from RTS this past week, uh, Reverend Mike Glodo. He is actually, yeah, yeah, right. You like that guy. He likes you too, I, just so you know. He said, man, I like that, Ryan. Uh, at any rate, but uh, one of the things about uh, Dr. Glodo is he was telling me that the church that he attends in Orlando, it's also a PCA church like ours, it's called St. Paul's Presbyterian, and they just finished up uh, at their series in Deuteronomy uh, not too long ago. And it took their, their pastor three years to get through it. Now, we've only been in it a year, okay? So uh, we've tried not to take that much time. But I can't make any promises. It, it might take that long. Today, we're only looking at three verses, so it might take us three years. Uh, at any rate, uh, but I want to read our passage uh, first today. Um, and actually, let me have just a, a, a moment of personal privilege. I want to say just a big, huge thank you to the crew of people that came yesterday. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there's something different about this place this morning, isn't there? Yeah, we had a huge crew that came out yesterday, painted our walls and vents and... Uh, uh, Y'all did such a great job. You blessed me beyond measure, so thank you so very much, and hopefully it's a blessing to everybody else who's in here this morning as well. So thank you for all the hard work that you did today uh, and yesterday. Um, really do appreciate that. But let me read the passage that we're looking at today. Remember again, if we were to, before uh, I read that passage, remember again, if we were to give this uh, book, the book of Deuteronomy, a different title, what would it be? You are what? You are God's treasure. Always keep that in mind. Every one of these passages that we look at, whether it's three verses or 30 verses, uh, whether it's talking about the law of God or talking about the community or talking about the priests or the rulers or whatever the case might be, you have to always remember that the undergirding motif, if you will, the old undergirding theme of it is this. You, God is saying to his people, are my treasure. We don't typically think about that in the Old Testament, do we? In the Old Testament, we tend to think that God is a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of war, right? He's a God of law. But oftentimes we don't think of the God of the Old Testament as a God of compassionate care. And yet He is. Time and time again, if you look at Israel's history, that He is the God who cares so intimately for His people. Incredibly for his people. That actually the giving of the law is a kindness from God. It is grace from God. This is how I want you to live. This is how it is good to live uh, not only with yourself but also with one another and with the nations around you. If you follow these laws, this is a gift. This is a kindness. And so we have to sometimes demythologize what we think about what the Bible says 
about God in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Today we're actually going to learn some Hebrew. You guys cool with that? There's a couple of Hebrew words that we have to learn. I was talking to my friend Matt Archie yesterday. I'm actually very, very grateful when I went to seminary that I had to learn the, the original languages that the Bible was in. Because oftentimes we gloss over some terminology that's written in the Bible thinking, oh, I know what that word means. And yet when we understand it in its original language, it fills out that definition a little bit more than we would typically think or imagine, okay? And so today we're going to actually look at a couple of Hebrew words when we talk about the whole idea of grace and justice. And they seem like they're diametrically opposed, but I got news for you, they're not. Okay, so we're going to look at this today and a, just a few short uh, verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 16, beginning in verse 18. And this is God's word. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you according to your tribes and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe for a, a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. And Father, uh, maybe we come in here with our own uh, preconceived notions of what all of these words mean. Um, I know that as I was looking at them during the course of the week, I carried into that study my own preconceived notions. And I'm thankful, Father, that you met me and that you will meet us right now and you will show us the things that you want us to see through your word. Reveal to us your heart, Lord. Reveal to us your chesed, your grace, your kindness. Reveal also to us your justice. Because we want to be like you, Lord. We want to grow in our understanding of who you are and the things that you love and the things that you despise so that we can be the best stewards of this very precious and very fleeting life that we have. And so be with us now, Lord, as we look at your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so like I was mentioning uh, earlier, we are having a little bit of a Hebrew lesson today. And there's two lessons that uh, we're going to be looking at. Justice as, first and foremost, a word called mishpat. Mishpat. And then justice as zadekah. For those of you who, uh, and listen, if you're a Hebrew scholar in here and I mispronounce those words, I'm asking you to give me grace because I'm from North Carolina and I already don't know how to talk anyway. So, so Mishpat and Zedakah, okay? Justice is these, okay? So all of us have our ideas of what justice is, don't we? 
uh, for example, it's when a person is given their due. If you get, if you drive 75 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone, what should you get? Many of us say nothing, okay? I was needing to go somewhere. But the law says something quite different. You get a ticket, and that ticket, you know, costs money and so on and so forth. You get what you deserve. And so it's equal treatment from one person to the next, regardless of race or social status. It's a level playing ground, if you will. Now, one of the verses that we actually need to look at to help us better understand the whole concept of justice is one that is very recognizable that many of you know. You've heard it before. And it's, it's a favorite of youth groups, and especially when they go on service projects and do mission trips and so forth, so on and so forth. It comes out of the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. And what does that verse read? How does it go? It says, and what does the Lord require of you but to do what? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. How many of us know that, have heard that passage? But yeah, we've all heard it before. And we think it's typically for the youth group. Uh, uh, but it's not. It's for so much more than that. It is a summary of how God wants actually all of us to live. So what does it mean then, and when Micah says, to walk humbly with our God, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? Well, it means what you might expect it to mean. It means first and foremost, it is your responsibility and my responsibility to know God intimately. To know God intimately. How, how might you know God or grow in your knowledge of God intimately? If you are here only on one day per week, guess what? And if this is the only time you actually ever get into reading God's Word, can you, do you think you would be able to get to know God intimately by just giving Him an hour, maybe even 30 minutes, some people say that Gary only works 30 minutes a week uh, at any rate. But the point is, can you? one of the greatest titles that has been bestowed upon each and every one of us who is in Christ is what? Do you know what it is? It's found in John's Gospel. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you what? Friends. You were once far off. You were once strangers. But now you're a friend of God. How extraordinary is that? Now what do friends do? Friends get together. Don't they? They spend time with one another. How's your week? What are you doing? What's going on? That's a personal, intimate relationship. Is that, now the question then becomes, is that the kind of relationship that I have with Jesus? Do I ask Him, Jesus, how are you doing? What's going on in your world? What, and basically back to me is, how am I doing? Have you, when's the last time you said, Jesus, I'm having a really crappy week? That kind of honesty. Do you understand that it's okay if you tell Jesus, I've had a pretty crappy week? It's been hard. I'm exhausted. How many of you think that if you said it just like that, that Jesus would say, what in the world are you doing? Get away from me. You know what Jesus would say in a scenario like that? Bring it. 
Tell me, how bad was it? Give me specifics. I want to know. What's troubling you? That's a personal, intimate relationship. We walk humbly with God by having a personal, intimate relationship with our Savior. Okay? But not only that, it's this. To walk humbly with our God also means to be attentive to the things that God desires, the things that God loves. To care about the things that He thinks and says are important. And we're going to be looking at some of the things he says that are important today. And so how does one go about uh, uh, walking humbly with God? Well, Micah tells us it is to love mercy and to do justice. That's what it says there in Micah 6. This is how you walk humbly with God, to do justice and to love mercy. Now, the word, the, the, uh, to love mercy... I've already mentioned this word a couple of times. The word mercy in Hebrew is the word hesed. Okay? And it means God's unconditional grace. It means God's unconditional acceptance, God's unconditional compassion. When you come to Jesus, guess what you get? You get God's hesed. How cool is that? You get his hesed, his unconditional love, now and forever. Not just in that moment, but for the rest of your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you all that I am, all of the grace. And so how about the word justice? The word justice here is, is the word, he, in Hebrew, it is the word mishpat, which means Justice, And so what Micah 6, 8 is saying here is this. To walk humbly with God is to do justice, mishpat, out of. And that's the key phrase, out of merciful love. You hear that? We don't do justice to, to get God to love us. We don't do kindness to get God to love us. We do it from a place that we're already loved. That's the point. That's what Micah 6, 8 is telling us. You do justice because I have given all the grace, all of the acceptance, all of the hesed that I possess. I've already put it on you. So out of merciful love. And so doing justice is a response to being given mercy. Now, so what, so what does biblical justice mean? Well, the, the word that we're looking at again is this word mishpat. And it takes on several different forms in the Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equity. Let me give you an example of this. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22. And this is what it reads there. It says, you shall have the same rule or rule of law, mishpat, for the sojourner, that's the foreigner, and the native, the native Israelite, for I am the Lord your God. You're not going to treat one person one way and another person another way, right? That's what the basic meaning. We have a lawyer in the room. This is what justice is, right? This is what mishpat is. And so mishpat means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status, so that anyone who does the same wrong gets the same penalty. But that's not always how it's applied in our broken world, is it? Is everybody treated fairly and equally? Are there some people who get, maybe get off easier than others? 
Yeah, this is God's ideal is that everybody would be treated fairly regardless of their race, regardless of their social status. But mishpat, uh, mishpat means more than just, just punishment for wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. Let me give you another biblical example. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to be looking at this in just a couple of weeks. It talks about the priests who serve in the tabernacle. Uh, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but the priests, the Levites, are the only clan that was not given a portion of land. And so they couldn't grow their own crops and so on. They had to be dependent upon the, the other 11 tribes uh, uh, for their sustenance. Okay, and so in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talks about a percentage of the other people's income being given to the priests. Listen to what it says there in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 2. It says, They, that is the priests, shall have no inheritance among their brothers. Why? Because the Lord is their inheritance, as He promised them. And this shall be the priest's due. Guess what the word there is for due? The word mishpat. They shall receive their due from the people. And so Mishpat, a fuller understanding of this, is, uh, is giving a people what they are due, whether that's punishment, but also protection, care, and provision. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Bear with me. The word Mishpat, or some form of it, is mentioned over 200 times in the uh, Old Testament. And time and time again, and place and place again, it shows up in the context of several different classes of people. I want you to take a guess as to the classes of people that it shows up in context with. Do you think it shows up in context of the rich? Do you think it shows up in the context of the powerful? Do you think it shows up in the context of those who are nestled securely in their families? For the most part, no. So who is it? Who are the classes of people that are most oftentimes associated with mishpat? And you guessed it. It's the widows. It's orphans. It's sojourners or immigrants. And it's the poor. What does James chapter 1 verse 27 say? It says this, Religion that is pure and defiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Then say visit the rich who have been cheated out of some money by a poor person. It says visit the widow and the orphan in their distress, the weakest and the vulnerable, most vulnerable in our society. That's who we are to care for. That's God's biblical vision of justice. These people don't have anything. And even if they blew it because of their own moral failure, they're still God's image bearers. We simply cannot turn a blind eye. And that's where we get hung up, isn't it? I want to know why they're in that position. And if they did it to themselves, then they deserve it. Isn't that what we think? Isn't that what we feel? They're getting their due. 
Let me ask you a very quick and honest question. Where would you and I be if we got what we were due? God does not, as it says in Psalm 103, He does not treat them according to what their sins deserve. Guess what we have? 24 7, 365, and in leap years, 366. We have grace on top of grace on top of grace. You can't sin your way out of that grace. You can try. I have. And I lost to the glory of God the Father. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 10. Listen to this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Now because of this, we can, what can we say about justice? What can we say about mishpat? Listen, I've learned a lot this week from... Many of you guys, he's one of my heroes. His name is Tim Keller. He wrote a book many years ago called Generous Justice. Okay? It seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. But this is what he says about this whole idea. What do we learn about justice, about mishpat? He says that the justice, justness of a people or a society, from a biblical standpoint, is evaluated on how that society or people treats these classes of people. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? A just society is evaluated by how well or how poorly we care for the least among us. I want you to take just a moment and just to reflect a little bit on this personally. How well are the poor? How well are the vulnerable? How well are the weak and frail in our society oftentimes treated? How are they treated by you? Sometimes, maybe even most times, they're not treated well at all, are they? Why? Is it because we think that they're just a blight on society? They're just something to be swept under a rug? Just get them out of sight? If we can just hide them? Are they like a disease, a virus that just needs to be cured? Or are they people that are created in God's image who have a God-endowed worth and dignity? someone we're actually called to care about. Do you understand? To not care for them is not just a lack of charity. To not care for them is not just a lack of charity. Guess what it is? It's a lack of justice. <laughs> Friends, I don't know about you, but when I realized that this week, for the first time, it was like a punch in the gut. How many of you feel like you've been punched in the gut this morning? It's okay. I felt it too. 
When I hoard for myself or when we seek as a, a church family only to minister to ourselves, to serve ourselves, we are not simply being uncharitable charitable to the weak, uncharitable towards the poor. We are also being unjust and it hurts. It hurts us and it hurts them. Do you remember the manna that God gave his people in the desert in the Old Testament when they were wandering? Do you remember the story of how that all shook out? They moaned and complained. Moses, there's at least some food in Egypt, right? And he gave them this manna. And five days a week, they would go out into the fields and they would glean this wafer-like substance, right? And they would have enough for each day. And on the sixth day, they would go out and they would gather twice as much and it would be able to keep because he didn't want them to break the Sabbath. So they had food for the Sabbath. And not only that, whenever they gathered, they were sometimes they would have sojourners. They would have pilgrims uh, who would join them while they were on their work. And then they were to give them this manna just as freely as they were to eat it themselves. But do you understand what happened to the manna if they tried to hoard it, if they tried to keep it? What happened to it the very next morning on those, those, those uh, five days a week when they gathered it? Do you remember what happened? It rotted. It was filled with maggots. Now what do you think the application is for you and me when we hoard? Listen, it's not just the stuff that rots, it's our souls that rot. That's the point. That's the point of that whole story. And so to give people, and particularly the poor and the weak among us, their due, to give them care, protection, and provision is to do justice. And that's part of what Moses is drawing at, getting at, driving at here in Deuteronomy 16, isn't it? That the judges, the rulers are the ones to apply the same rule of law to everyone. To not treat one section, to not treat one class of people preferentially over another. Or to accept a bride because that is unjust. So that's justice as mishpat. Now finally, justice as zedakah. But justice is broader, broader than just giving a person their due. It also has something to do with relationships. There's a second Hebrew word that we need to look at that means being just. And that word, uh, that word is zadekah. And it refers to a life of right relationships. Now, for most of us, myself included, when I hear the word righteous or righteousness, zadekah, I tend to think of personal morality. How about you? I tend to think of a person who has their uh, regular Bible study, uh, who has prayer time, where they're being righteous, or, or they're very pious in all, all of their relationships, right? Uh, they're, uh, they're pure, and, and, and that sort of thing. And while that is certainly partially true, um, the, in the Bible, uh, Zedekah refers to a person who orders all of the relationships in his lives uh, in his life with equity, fairness, and generosity. One of the greatest examples of this uh, comes from the Old Testament. 
and it comes from the book of Job. I want you to listen to just a little uh, story, a little snippet of Job's life. Job chapter 29, beginning in verse 12. Listen to this. This is Job speaking to one of his miserable counselors who was trying to convict him of some sin that he, he apparently had hidden. But Job then recounts, he defends himself against such preposterous claims. And he says, because, in verse 12, chapter 29, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was, I was, my, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. How beautiful was Job's compassion and concern there. Did you hear it? He rescued the poor. He rescued the poor. I heard the story one time of John Calvin, who was a pastor in Geneva uh, many, for many, good many of, uh, years. And one night in the middle of the night, he, uh, Geneva was filled with a bunch of uh, refugees. They had no place to go. And uh, uh, this refugee family came to his house in the middle of the night. They knocked on his door. They found out that that's where he lived. And so you know what John Calvin did in the middle of the night? He put on his robe. He put on his shoes. He put on his coat. He went to a, a family member, uh, uh, someone in his church. He went to a member of his church's house. He knocked on the door. This is the middle of the night. This is 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. He knocked on the door. The door opens. And I can almost imagine what the conversation was like. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? What are you doing here in the middle of the night? You know what John Calvin said to the family that opened the door? Here are your brothers and sisters. They're your responsibility. Take them in. How many of us would be so glad to welcome a family in the middle of the night? I used to work at the Ronald McDonald House in Orlando. Thankfully, it wasn't. <laughs> I say that thankfully. Um, one of the things that ministered to me the most while I was a house manager is that I would get calls in the middle of the night. Families who had a sick child in the hospital. They'd call me. They'd page me and say, hey, we need a place to stay. And I'm going to tell you, I wasn't always kind to get that phone call at 2.30 in the morning. But it was my job. But one of the things that convicts me is this, is as Christians, the grace that has been given to us, it's no longer a job. We get to do this. We get to show compassion. We get to show love. Because we have been shown more love and grace than we can ever possibly imagine. And so Job, he rescued the poor. He assisted the fatherless. He made widows' hearts sing. Forgetting about all of their troubles. How cool is that? He was eyes for those who couldn't see. He was a father to the needy. His whole life was one of compassion, even though he also lost so much. 
And so this is what it means to do, to do justice. It is giving. It is being generous. It is, this is doing justice, at least from a biblical perspective. And if you're like me, this whole concept is so foreign because I've only ever thought of justice in the legal realm, in the courtroom, but never in my life have I ever thought about justice being in my wallet. And yet from a biblical perspective it is. You know what or who this reminds me of? And yes, we're closing. Thank you for sitting so patiently. It reminds me of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became what? Poor. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Prince of Heaven, the creator and sustainer of all there is, the king of kings, the lord of lords. He was born of a virgin and to a lowly carpenter, neither of which had any reputation or renown. Born in a town that was barely a town, Bethlehem. Born not even in that sleepy little town, but in a cattle stall outside of town and laid in a manger. And he lived a poor life all his life he didn't own a home he didn't own a business and yet he owns absolutely everything you see he laid down his riches of righteousness Zedekah. and he became sin for us so that he could satisfy the justice mishpat of God in our place. For what purpose? So that we could have the chesed of God. The loving kindness of God. He is grace and justice wrapped up into one performed on a bloody, rugged cross so that we could live, so that we could love, so that we could care, so that we could give, so that we could give our lives away just as He has given His life away for us. Grace and justice meet in a person, and His name is Jesus. So here's a question before we move to the Lord's Supper. Who is going to get your love, care, and concern today? Who is going to get your love, care, and concern this week? Who will you be open-handed to? Because God in Jesus has been open-handed to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your amazing grace that saved wretches like me and like us. Thank you, Lord, that there was nothing that we could do to earn it, and there's also nothing that we can do to lose it. That you have given it so freely, and you have given it so fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to become generous 
Help us also to be concerned about justice and caring for those less fortunate than ourselves. And be with us now, Father, as we move to the table to celebrate this hesed that you have given to us so freely. And we pray this in Jesus' name.